Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It's good to be with you again. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can send along an email to me at john at johnwarrenmedia.com or use our contact form on the website. You can uh, learn more about our work there, find our episode library, or you can find us on Google, Apple, Spotify, and wherever you go to get your podcast. If you find a podcast hosting site that doesn't have us, let me know. Pass along a note. Well, it is a blessing and uh, really a pleasure again to uh, have my friend, Pastor Charlie Parrish, with me. Charlie, welcome. It's so good to have you here again. Thank you so much for having me, John. It's always a pleasure and a fun time when we get to chat. Well, you know, for those who uh, haven't kind of listened to older episodes, uh, Charlie is pastor, senior pastor, lead pastor of a church called Foothills Community Church in beautiful Marble Hill, Georgia, which is just north of Atlanta by a short, beautiful drive in the foothills of the mountains. It is a, a beautiful place. If you, uh, you know, I, I don't work for the chamber there, but if you are looking for a place to relax, that is that is one that I would commend to you. And we have had the pleasure of worshiping with Charlie and, and uh, your your congregation uh, several times, and it is it is a blessing. That is a, a, a beautiful work, and uh, I know that it just has to be a joy to get to minister to those dear people. I should shout out again to uh, Chip Doster, who is one of my favorite church elders just about anywhere, and he, he became such by just being so warm and welcoming the first time we we visited with you. So I know that uh, that ministry is a blessing. You're a, you're a blessing to that ministry, and they're a blessing to you. Well, they absolutely are. And, and Chip is constantly asking me when you're going to make your way back uh, to the mountains of Foothills. He, he misses seeing you, and well, I do too. <laughs> well, I, we'd love to do that uh, permanently, or at least, uh, at least have a, a second home there, as you know. But yeah, that... You know, I didn't do it justice in terms of the beauty there, but uh, it, it's just a it's a gorgeous place. You really don't have to go as far as you think you do from Florida to to find uh, beautiful mountains and natural beauty and and weather that is uh, just just terrific and incredibly nice people. I mean, I I I don't know why I feel so strongly about your congregation in that regard. Well, I do know because I've met so many of them and they are among the nicest people, most welcoming, cordial, warm people I've ever met. But yeah, so I, I, uh, I'm, I'm envious uh, that that's a, that, that's a wonderful work. And, and we should say, you know, God, because God has blessed it and has been, has been faithful. Very blessed to be here. It's a, it is a great church and God has done, uh, so many great things. So uh, yeah. only only he can have the glory for that. And I do realize that I, by naming Chip, we just left out lots of people who who uh, who do some incredible things there and and minister faithfully. So want to acknowledge that as well. But 
Today, uh, you know, I get so much feedback, Charlie, on these episodes that you're a part of, and I've lost count. This might be number six or seven or even eight, but over the last 85 or six episodes, weekly episodes, you've you've uh, talked about a number of subjects, and I, I didn't tell you this in advance, but what happened to prompt uh, me to to get you to talk about the uh, character of God is I watched a Paul Washer sermon, which is always a dangerous thing for me to do because I, I go away convicted. And he said something, he was talking to young pastors, which is always interesting to me when, when a seasoned guy who's got a lot of wisdom says this, and he says something like, and I, I'm, I'm going to butcher this, but he said, young pastors, you should, you should preach. You should not preach about anything else until you've preached on the character of God for at least a year. <laughs> and you know how he kind of drops those bombs sometimes. And, yeah. and, and, and he said that, and I thought, you know, you're so right. And, and I thought of you and I thought of every time we've had these conversations, we, 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 we talk about the character of God, but uh, we do it in some other context. And we, we, you know, we've talked about the faithfulness of the church. And we've talked about all, all kinds of issues. We've talked about reform doctrine and, and, and the beauty of the gospel and all of that in all of that, we've addressed the character of God, but I'm, I'm wondering if you would just lead us off and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll bug you and interrupt you uh, a little bit, but I'm wondering if you could just talk about where your thoughts go when you think about explaining to this audience, what the character of God is, you know, who, who God, I mean, in seminary terms, you, you, you think about, you know, who God is, who man is, and how God relates to man. And when you answer that question, who is God, where, where do you even start in your thought process? Yeah, I, no, I think Paul Washer is right on as far as uh, the character of God being something that, that should be primary, that is preached by young pastors and old pastors alike guys that have been seasoned, because if we don't know the character of God, uh, where are you going to go from there? You know, um, the only thing you can do if you don't know the biblical character of God and his characteristics and his attributes is to formulate a God of your own creation. And, and we see that far too often today. Um, we, we, you know, as well as I do, we see people making uh, the biblical God in their own image because they're they're pretty much Bible Ill- illiterate, meaning that they don't read themselves. Not that they can't read, but they won't give time to studying the Word of God, and they don't know His attributes as how He is. We've we've talked about in the past, you and I, uh, big big ticket attributes such as sovereignty and 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 holiness. But there are other attributes of God uh, that we can go really deep into, such as God being a loving Father. There, there's so much depth just in that and what that means biblically uh, then meets the eye. Uh, so the character of God is, is the attributes of God. I tell people this, if, if you were dating your spouse, uh, you know, back that time when you were in courtship, you want to know the character of your spouse. You want to know who they are, what they like, what their, what their uh, you know, dislikes are, those kind of things. And to do that, you have to spend time with them. Uh, you can't just assume these things. Uh, how much more true is that of God? And to spend time with him, we, we can only find God's characteristics through study of his word. And so beginning there, I think that's, the, that's our platform or that's the uh, springboard mm. uh, to the character of God in the, in the discussion. 
Yeah, that's right. And, and you know, as I uh, hear you kind of kick this conversation off, my probably my, my first thought that, that I think people might struggle with is when you say all that and you, you differentiated, which is really smart, uh, between God's character, God's attributes and characteristics, and we could have a long conversation about all of that, but let's start with this. I struggle when, I think we all do, when we try to think about God being infinite. You know, he, I'll say it clumsily, he's not subject to us, or he's not subject to anything else. He did, He's not uh, dependent on people or inputs or anything external to himself. Can, can you just talk about his... I don't know whether infiniteness is a word or not, but but can you just talk about that for a moment? Yeah, that, that tags into a lot of different, uh, if you want to call them attributes, the aseity of God, that he doesn't need anything like we do. He, he's not dependent on anything like we are, because as you said, he's eternal. He's been from the beginning. And that's that's something that, that's hard for the human mind to comprehend. Uh, we, we always want a beginning, you know, to, to see the starting point. That, that's one of the, um, uh, the questions that I've had from many atheists that I've talked to as far as when we, we begin to talk about creation. You know, they, they want to say, well, where did God come from? And to explain to them that he is and always has been, he's eternal. That's something that's hard to grasp. And, and we point back to the scriptures as that truth. Everything's got to have an origin, but God is, is the origin of everything. He's always been and he never had an origin himself, meaning something that created God. God has always been. God's been uh, everlasting, from everlasting to everlasting, the Alpha and Omega. Uh, he is the beginning and the end. Uh, and that, again, that's something for our minds uh, that, that we have a tr- hard time grasping the things of eternity. When it comes to the character of God, we've got to be careful, even when we talk about um, things like God's eternality, uh, to try not to mold this in what we think God, God is, and base it in Scripture. Uh, I think of Psalm chapter fifty, verse twenty-one, uh, and it says this. I'll, I'll just read it for us. These things you have done, and I have been silent and thought that I was one like yourself. But now I rebuke you and lay charge before you. Now, in that verse, he said basically the accusation is these people formed God in their own image. You thought I was one like you, but I'm not. And I think we make that same mistake today. Uh, as human beings, we, we try to understand God in our own framework, I mm. guess, is the way to put it. And we don't have the same framework as God. He's eternal. He's other. He's holy. He's separate. Um, and he is eternal, as you just said. And when we talk about the eternality of God, our, our go-to is the Scripture. We don't try to reason or rationale with people. Uh, we go to verse by verse showing them what the Word of God says as that authority, and God will do the work through that. Well, and as as you describe that, I I wrote on my notepad a um, uh, uh, timeline, and I tried uh, even this week to talk to some of my students about about this this issue, um, and and you just said it, but the timeline. If you if you were to draw a timeline of eternity, you've got to have an arrow on each end, don't you? And isn't there isn't there the infinity symbol kind of on each end? And and that means that God, the Father, 
did not have a, a beginning. And you, I think you've said those words a minute ago. There's no, yeah. there's no dot where God starts here. And I, I'm, I'm, I want to be careful that I'm not blasphemous in saying it this way, but I am putting it in human terms as best I can. Uh, and I hope biblical terms, God existed throughout all eternity past. Yes, absolutely. And, there was no starting point for God. And so just to clarify, did Jesus also exist throughout all eternity past? Yes, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit existed eternally uh, together from, from eternity past and into eternity future. And and I'll add this to that statement as well. Uh, they existed uh, fully content. They did not need anything. They didn't create or God didn't create. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit did not create uh, because he needed us. Uh, God created. He, he was the, not, he was not, I'm sorry to interrupt you. He was not incomplete. Yes, ab- absolutely. You said it best. He, he wasn't incomplete. He, he was, he was fully content within the triune uh, a Trinity, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit, fully content in need of nothing, uh, in need of no fellowship in need of nothing to garner his attention. Uh, he had everything he needed. Uh, he created because he is a loving God and to display his attributes. Correct me if I get this wrong, but I think of all those things you just said, God, God being apart from us as his transcendence, his being, his being outside of us. Whereas I think of his eminence as his being, his being close to us, being with us. And he is, he is both of those things at once and they are not contradictory. Can you just comment on that? Yeah, no, he, he is transcendent and uh, he's outside of us. And that doesn't, uh, in our minds, again, that's hard to reconcile because we have a human framework. We don't have a divine framework. Um, you can't, we can't understand things in the full way that, uh, that God has revealed them fully. And, and, you know, the scripture says that now we see in part. And when we stand with him in eternity, we will see in full. Uh, and that's part of faith, too. That's part of taking God on his word. You know, we, we again, we talked about sovereignty in the past. We talked about things about reconciliation of how free will and God's sovereignty go together. That's well, right. I think John MacArthur said it best. You know, he said, we can't reconcile those things in our little minds. He said, but we go about these things on faith. He said, it, it's in Scripture. And it's the same with what we're talking about this morning. When it comes to the transcendence or the eternality of God, I can't fathom what eternity past looks like. I can't wrap my brain around that, but I believe it because the scripture says that. And, and we go on that by faith because I trust that God's word is true. Absolutely. From start to finish. And, and the, and the word tells us that he is eternal and he's been from the beginning. You know, I, I not only struggle with that. I mean, I, I really struggle with eternity past as I even think about eternity future and think about eschatology and all the things that are going to happen, I understand some of those things from the book of Daniel and the book of the Revelation, and, and there are some other hints here and there that, that are helpful, but I can't think eternally. I can't even think a couple of years down the road, and I'm kind of a planner, and, and I, I really struggle. There are times where kind of you hold your tongue right and stand on one leg, you can you can sort of, you know, strain and think about some of the implications of eternity, but 
but God is, what you're describing is a very high view of God, which is, as I believe, appropriate. I, I, I heard a theologian say, and you, you would know his name if I could remember it, that if, if we can imagine a God that is higher than the one we imagine, we're not imagining the true living God. And I, I believe that's true. I believe our finite minds can't go there. Yeah, absolutely. We, we can't imagine the things that God has in store for those that love him and those that are called by his name. We, we can't fathom what eternity looks like, neither past eternity or future eternity. Uh, one of the things that I've, uh, I've contemplated before is, you know, what was God doing in eternity past before he created the, the earth? What was he doing? I, I can't fathom that. I can't what, what are we going to do as believers for eternity future? Well, the Bible gives us brief glimpses of that. But, uh, but again, we don't have that full picture of what that is. I can't fathom, but I guarantee you it's, it's more wonderful and glorious than we could ever imagine. And when you think about the things that we do know, uh, so, so that's, I think that's helpful background, the, the thinking about eternity. And then I, I shudder when I think, well, every soul is eternal. Every, every soul is immortal in a, in a sense. I might be using the wrong word there, but, but going to live forever. And so, the rejection of the finished work of Jesus Christ, rejection of the gospel, is the reason that God, God's righteousness, Paul talks about this, we've talked about this in previous episodes many times, demands that man be, be justified through his finished work on Calvary. And I would include the rest of the gospel all the way through resurrection and ascension and sitting at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. Justification by faith is a critical doctrine as we think about God's justice. And as, as we think about eternity, not to scare people who are listening, although there's nothing wrong with that because we're, we're just stating the truth, what we do with Jesus Christ is essential, isn't it? Yes, it is. And eternity, <laughs> it's a long time. And those that do not bow the knee to Christ uh, and do not come to him through faith, um, there is a real place called hell. And hell is the absence of, of goodness, of God's goodness. It is the absence of, of the blessings of God. Um, and I, you mentioned Paul Washer earlier. I, I think it was him that one time quoted and said, you know, many people will say that God is not in hell. And he said, no, God is there. God is the wrath, or hell, rather, is the wrath of God. That's that right. God is, you know, uh, that hell is just the absence of everything good that we have. And we have common graces here from God on this earth. We have breath. We have life. We have water. We have food. We have, you know, we don't, we don't have to worry about being in sweltering temperatures that, that just cause us to to wither. Uh, all of those things that we sometimes take for granted here on earth, those are common graces. And hell is the absence of even those common graces uh, of air, water, of sleep, things that we don't think twice about. It, it is just goodness taken away. And again, that is eternal as well. So those that do not bow the knee to Christ uh, will spend eternity future in a place called hell. And that is not just a conscience conscious place. It is very real. 
And it's very, very scary to think about. But the believer does not have that worry, does not have that fear because he is secure in Christ. And our justification is by faith in him alone. And yeah. that's a wonderful promise that not to get in the weeds, but but that is how a righteous God redeems a sinful man. And as you were just talking, I was thinking, you know, if God took his hands off of the world and this this goes to the character, this goes to who God is. If he were to completely let go of this world, we because we're born in sin, we have Adam's first sin imputed to us. <laughs> and I don't yeah. know exactly how that works, but I believe it to be true because it's biblical and and and, and so his sin is imputed to us. We are haters of God, Paul says, in our flesh and and are, are full of all kinds of evil. And and we, we would just devolve into a, a murderous heap of ash rather quickly if God took his hands off of this earth, wouldn't we? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and even, you know, even evil is restrained. Uh, those that are enemies of God are not as evil as they could be because of God's restraining grace upon them. That's right. Uh, you know, so so God is actively uh, holding not only the universe together, but also his creation as humans. And if you, you hit the nail on the head, if he were to remove his hand fully from humanity and leave us to our own devices, we would destroy ourselves very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> it would not be a good And And, you know, as you talk about this, I think about, God's eminence. He he is loving. And I know sometimes we caricature God and you know you and I had a we we did a podcast episode on on the the kind of the word of faith movement and the you know kind of those who would sort of treat God like a cosmic vending machine and I or 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 we talked about karma that day and and uh, and all of that and that's dangerous. But we shouldn't be afraid of talking about God's grace and mercy and love. God isn't just loving. He is love. And Jesus is the perfection. I'm probably going to say this clumsily from a theology standpoint, but he is the perfection of God's love, the demonstration, the perfect, let's say it this way, perfect demonstration of God's love, the the completion of God's law in a sense, uh, the perfection of God's law he, uh, Paul even calls him God's righteousness. Talk about the beauty of 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 the the attributes that that really we need to hear about about who God is, and that is His love and mercy and grace. Just for a minute, if you would. Yeah, we we really don't hear uh, too much about that anymore, and if we do, it's it's preached out of context many times, as you were saying, in a prosperity way or, or something like that, but. One of the the major attributes of God is that He is a loving God. Now, when we say that, we've got to understand it in His context and or in a biblical context. Um, you know, God being loving is not a prosperity God. Uh, God, uh, it is. Let me see the verse. It's Second Peter one three. It says His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellency. So the goal. Uh, of God is to make us more like Christ um, and to, to mold us more into a, a holy image. 
Uh, if God were to give us everything that our little sinful hearts desired, as many prosperity believers will say, God, give me a mansion on the hill. God, give me a brand new car. Well, then what God would be doing is giving us idols. God would be giving us things that we wanted to place above him. Uh, rather, God doesn't give those things uh, because those things can become idols. Uh, the gifts that God gives are the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, the gifts that God gives are, is grace. And, and the greatest gift that we've ever been given, the greatest example of love, is Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, that he died, and because of his sacrifice, we have salvation. Um, I heard one theologian said, when we realize the depth of love that is encompassed in grace, then the believer can look at uh, job loss. He can look at calamity in the world. He can look at personal sickness or cancer. Whatever that comes his or her way, that believer can say, I've got the greatest gift of all. I have been saved by my Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the greatest love of all. And these other things can just pass away because I have all I need in Him. Yeah, and you know, that's where I think we get in trouble. Uh, they're they're kind of two sides of this coin. One is, and you said this, you almost said these exact words a minute ago, we shouldn't let the uh, Word of Faith, Prosperity Gospel folks steal the beauty of of this, the, these characteristics of God, this part of God's character, these attributes, because mm. because they're there. Uh, we we uh, and and uh, I, I'm always I always go to that section in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said if, if something like if if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven? It's right after ask, seek, and knock. If you remember, uh, give mm-hmm. give good things to those who ask Him. Uh, God is a God is a, a a blessing God. I think the key word in that section is is good good things. Um, mm-hmm. That that doesn't mean name it and claim it. It doesn't mean good input, you know, monetary output for me. Um, in fact, if if it, I would say this to Christians who are listening to this, isn't it true? Is isn't it just established in in practice? It's it's biblical and it's in scripture. But haven't we all experienced the, I almost, not quite buyer's remorse, but the letdown associated with, I wanted this, I wanted to achieve this goal, I wanted to accomplish this mission, I wanted to afford this thing or have this bank account with this many zeros, and I got there and I said, huh, that's not what I, that didn't feel like what I thought it was going to feel like, or Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and isn't, isn't that emblematic of our uh, finiteness, finitude and God's uh, God being infinite. And isn't he, isn't our purpose, you know, to glorify him. And isn't that richer than any objective that the name it and claim it folks talk about as a, as an incentive to us to be obedient. Isn't the real, purpose of the the real why we're here to glorify him and to love our neighbor as ourselves, And isn't that rich and rewarding? That's where we'll find as believers are our most greatest fulfillment. Uh, you, you know, you, you were talking about the human heart and how when you get that bank account number that you've always strived for or the, the perfect job or whatever it is, you get what you were striving for. And you're right. When we get to that level, Everybody has that kind of, huh, this is it, what's next? Well, we can read the book of Ecclesiastes and see that played out, because King Solomon did the same thing. 
King Solomon is, we remember, the richest man, the wisest man to ever live. And he had palaces upon palaces, upon riches, upon riches. And the whole book of Ecclesiastes is about this experiment on life that Solomon performs, trying to find pleasure outside of God, lasting happiness outside of God. And the theme of Ecclesiastes, the word that's mentioned over and over by Solomon at the end of his experiment is vanity, meaningless. I I can't find any satisfaction in these things that are under the sun, is the phrase he uses. So you're right. We look for meaning. We look for satisfaction. We look for even love apart from God. And when we do this, we're going to come to realize that there is no lasting satisfaction in that. Uh, it, it, it all burns away. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at Romans 8.28, and this is a coffee cup verse that everybody knows, but, but it's got so much it's a, depth. It's, for, a, it's a powerful one, though. Oh, it is. And the depth it has pertaining to what we're talking about is huge. Uh, it says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to to his purpose. And we've got to notice here in Romans eight twenty eight, it doesn't say we know that the good things work together for those who love God. Paul writes that all things, and meaning the good and the bad, everything, the calamity and the, the wonderful work together as some great tapestry that God is weaving for the good of those that love God and for his glory. So even the bad things in our life, God isn't caught off guard by those. He's a loving father, and to the to the believer, uh, God is using those calamities, those bad things, to to shape them, to mold them more into His image with everything that He does. So you're saying that those social media posts that have hearts and rainbows on the border and include that verse to say nothing bad will ever happen to you that that's not a good interpretation of that verse. It, it, it's really talking about the fact that uh, all things really, really points us to understanding w- why bad things happen, things we call bad, uh, that, that, mm-hmm. that all things work together for God's purposes. When people, and, and that's exactly right, one of the most common questions that I've heard as a pastor from those that are either new believers or non-believers is why do bad things happen? And to me, I don't know about anyone else, but but that verse, Romans eight twenty eight, is a really key verse to explain things. That listen, this verse says that all things that you can ever experience, meaning good and bad, are from a loving God and are for your good in some way that you may or may not ever see this side of eternity, and for His glory. and And that's why we have faith that whatever happens, it's in the hands of God. Well, and as you know, we can prove that you're right by just cruising down a little further to verse 38, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is not exactly a paraphrase of the verse you read, 828, but it's awfully close. Paul's kind of closing out that thought, isn't he? Well, yeah, and, and, you know, people may say, and I've heard it said before, well, I don't understand how bad things can be good for me and how a loving God could send bad things for my good. Well, you know, think of it this way. My my uh, six-year-old daughter, when she was small, we would take her to the doctor, and, you know, we, we'd get her little, you know, whatever she had to have, shot or whatever. And every time she would get a shot when she was little, you know, just a toddler, 
she would look at me and it was kind of that look like, aren't you supposed to be protecting me? How could, how could, <laughs> you, how could you do this to me? How could you do this to me? You're letting this man jab me. And she didn't have uh, the mind or the capacity to understand that I was doing this for her good, to protect her. Yeah. And, and it's the same with God. We can't fathom, as we were talking about opening up this conversation, the mind of God. So when we look at things that God allows in our life, who are we to question him and say, well, I don't get this. You need to explain yourself, God, rather than saying you are much greater and bigger and wiser than me. I trust, God, that this is for my good in some way and, and ultimately for your glory uh, and just leaving it, it there. Yeah, I bet you as a pastor, I bet you hear this every now and then, probably not too often, especially not in your congregation, but just in general, you hear about this thing we sometimes call the problem of evil. That is, how does a, a, an all-powerful God also says he's all loving, allow evil to exist in the world. But the, mm-hmm. re- but the real problem of evil <laughs> is how does a righteous God declare us to be who we are, unrighteous, un, uh, you know, with, with sin imputed from Adam to us, and then declare us righteous without compromising his righteousness? Isn't that Absolutely. isn't that the real problem of evil, and isn't that solved by the person of Jesus Christ? That is, I couldn't help thinking of that when you when you uh, were were just talking. It 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 is clear to me that we want to sort of superimpose ourselves over God, and and I I hear people say that all the time in the media and on social media. How could God blank? And the fact is, that's just a misunderstanding of who we are. We are we are so incredibly finite. Yes, and God uses evil uh, for good. God allows evil for good. Uh, could God have made a world where everything was perfect and everybody was was perfect and there were no sin? Well, He can do anything He wants to. But as I've heard, you know, one theologian say, if if God created everybody perfect and a world that didn't allow any sin, would we know the justice of God? Would we know and recognize the grace of God? Would we understand forgiveness? No, we wouldn't. God uses evil uh, to show, and he doesn't cause evil, but he allows it to show his attributes um, and to show his love, grace, and mercy. If there were no evil, there would have been no crucifixion and no need for a Savior, no need for Jesus to come. Uh, just like in the book of Job, if you read uh, the beginning of Job, uh, Satan came to God, as we know, and he said, I would like to afflict your servant Job. And God didn't go, oh, no, I don't know if I can stop you. Well, God had to give him permission, as we know. Mm-hmm. He gave Satan permission because God uses evil to show and sharpen his people in Christ, but also to show his grace, glory, love, mercy, all of his wonderful attributes. Uh, for for the good of his his children, and and to go one step further, and, and maybe I'm just repeating what you just said, uh, uh, but God uses suffering in our lives for our good and His glory. Uh, he he James actually says, and Paul affirms this too, that he uses it to make us steadfast, thereby growing our faith. Yeah, and that's. You know that's that's hard for us humans to to grasp. Um, we we value pleasure 
even frivolous, silly pleasure over suffering, and yet suffering is for our good. Uh, and that, yeah, that that's mind-boggling to me. That to me points me to God's being incredibly infinite and being so far beyond us and our own understanding. The measure of, of a man or a woman's faith is, I believe, seen in how they suffer uh, and how they endure suffering. Uh, the greatest witness, I believe, uh, that, that a Christian can have is how they suffer in front of others. Uh, there was a man in our church about two years ago, and he had uh, a terrible, uh, I believe it was some form of cancer, and he was going to die. But he always had something positive to say. He never talked about his uh, disease. He never talked about what was going on with his body. He simply uh, accepted it with the will of God and kept preaching the gospel. And every time you would see this man, he would smile and be thanking God for his grace and mercy. And, and it was almost like the Apostle Paul. When you read the book of Philippians, Paul is in prison. And if you read the entire book, not one time does Paul mention I wish I was out of prison or I'm really getting tired of food here or whatever it is. Paul was constantly praising God for his grace and mercy. You would think he would have uh, scored the, the, the green jacket at the Masters the way he was, he was speaking. Mm-hmm. But there was no speak of his, his affliction. It was all focused on Christ. And, and that, again, goes to what you're saying, that suffering uh, is, a, is a test, I believe, for us as believers to see how we will endure and how strong our faith is. And, and it, it is designed to turn us to, to Christ, turn us to God in, in re- humble repentance, and, and to it grows our faith because our, our, our faith is, is actually trusting in Him, relying on Him instead of ourselves. And, and so I can, I can kind of say those words, but I'm not, I'm not sure I, I, can, I, I live that way. Uh, day to day. I'm wondering, I'm wondering if we could just in closing here, change gears to a topic that is, it's really not going to do it justice to, to do this in closing, but, but talk about if you would, because I've heard you several times explain the glory of God. And I, I struggle to articulate that. Well, I can think of examples, um, Old Testament examples, especially of, of where people on earth experienced or saw the glory of God. I've read that section in Romans 8 on future glory, our, our future uh, uh, glorification. But describe the, the glory of, of God. It's, it's, his, it's his majesty, his matchlessness, and all those things. But talk about that for a few minutes to close us out. Yeah, well, the, the word glory literally means, if we do a, a word search on this, it's weightiness. It's what, what you ascribe weight to in your life. Some people ascribe glory to their job. Some people ascribe glory to their possessions, whatever's the most weighty thing. Some people, it's their family. That's the most important primary thing in their life. Uh, God is glorious, and in that, we are to ascribe glory to him, he's, he's to be the pinnacle, the, the most primary thing in our lives. Uh, over and over we see in the scripture where God calls his people to glorify him. And I remember it was C.S. Lewis who once wrote that before he knew Christ in a relationship, he would read the passages of scripture where God would say, glorify me, call the people to glorify me. And, and Lewis said, I don't believe that I could ever worship a God 
that was that needy like that. Well, then C.S. Lewis went on to become a Christian. He was saved by the grace of God. And he said, looking back, he said, I was wrong. He said, God calls us, and I'm paraphrasing here right now. I don't have the exact quote. But he said, God calls us as believers to glorify him because in glorifying God, we are drawn into our greatest joy. It's the John Piper quote, you know, the, the Christian hedonist, that the more we yep. we fall in love with God, the more we know about God, his attributes and who he is, his characteristics, the more joy we have in serving him and knowing him and in desiring to do mission for him. It was Jesus, I believe it was in the Gospel of John, who said, uh, called his disciples to obey him. And he said, and this should not be a burdensome thing. You know, we, we shouldn't as Christians go, well, I'm going to obey because uh, or bring glory to God because he said do it. No, this should be a joy to us that, that this is who we are and what we're called to do. So, again, I, I may have gone roundabout on that question, but, but the call to glorify God is actually a call for believers to tap into their greatest joys, how, how God wired us uh, to find our joy in him. No, I think you answered it beautifully. I think the the issue that I, I wanted you to, to talk about is just that, just just God's magnificence and, and the way the way you described uh, other things in our lives that we glorify uh, is, is just so true. The human condition causes us to, to get our eye off the ball and really the, the New Testament calls that idolatry. Uh, yeah. it, it is really easy for us. We, I, I look at Rome, don't you, and think, how did they worship those hundred or so idols, uh, those pagan idols, and yet we do that very thing instead of giving glory to God? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's a, that's a deep, deep topic. You could probably do another podcast episode on that, but you've got God's intrinsic glory, which is who He is. He is glorious. And then you have the ascribed glory of God to which we as believers ascribe to God, give to him. Yep. Um, and, and he's deserving. He, he is worthy as, as the hymn goes. He's worthy. Mm, amen. Well, thank you for being here again. We, uh, we, we just scratched the surface and I know listeners uh, who know scripture know that I'll tell you, I'll tell you my takeaway from, from this conversation is and, and you say it every time, Charlie, and I appreciate it uh, very much because I want it to be characteristic of my life, and that is go to Scripture. And I, I, I look at, I look at even, even theology can become an idol. Uh, theological nuance, uh, all sorts of things can be, and yet Scripture is our source of truth, and I have got to every day spend time uh, not just going through the motions, you know, that, that kind of reading you do where you get done with the page and you can't remember what you just read and not, mm-hmm. not, not that, but, but exploring the depths of scripture. It, it's, it's just beautiful. This God we're describing, if you, if you don't know uh, what we're talking about today, if this is new to you, we'd love the opportunity to talk to you further, not in a, a preachy way. You know, I love Charlie. I love your style and the way you talk to this audience, uh, just the way you talk to me privately and just the way you talk to people when I see you interact at your church, there's a, a loving beauty, pas- pastorally helpful beauty to the way 
you talk about the, uh, these things. So if you're hearing this for the first time and you say, well, what is this justification by faith? What is, how, how am I to be saved? What about these commercials I hear or God is drawing me and I'd like more information? If, if you would, uh, we would be honored to, uh, to, to have a conversation. We'll figure out how to do that. Send, send along an email to john at johnwarrenmedia.com or uh, comment on our contact form on the on the website johnwarrenmedia.com and we would uh, we would just be glad to uh, to to talk further this god who we serve the god of this universe is exactly as charlie described him and he is e- eternally god and has all of these characteristics and this walk by faith that we get to do this life of glorifying him is a beautiful thing and we'd be honored to tell you about it. So I usually don't, I don't always say that on this podcast, uh, but uh, I, I hope you'll take advantage of, of this opportunity and reach out. So thank you for listening, Charlie. Thank you for being here. It's just, it's always an honor and a pleasure to have you here. Well, thank you. I enjoy every time we get to chat. Thank you so much. All right. My wife says these are the best episodes whenever, whenever she said, you should have Charlie on every time. And I, I, I think that says something bad about me and all the other episodes. <laughs> but no, it, it, seriously, it's an honor to have you here. Folks, I hope you'll, you'll like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. We, uh, we have good data now, and I know that you're scattered all over the world, and that's, that is humbling. And uh, we do want to uh, glorify God with this podcast. So please feel free to uh, pass along a comment. If you'd like to know more about our work, go to the website, johnwarrenmedia.com. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren.